Our passage this morning comes from Luke 12, verses 13 through 25. Listen for what God is saying to you. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, What will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, You have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? May God bless our understanding of this scripture. God, we thank you that you have gathered us here in this space, an opportunity to commune with you and those who have gone before us um, in the faith walk. Open our hearts and minds to receive what it is that you have to say to us today. May our hearts be lifted, our hearts be challenged, and our hearts be transformed by your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, before this passage, Jesus has been doing kind of his thing, right? He's been teaching folks how to pray, casting out demons, challenging the faith leaders, and generally flipping the script on the Torah, the Jewish law. Scripture says uh, that he was starting to draw crowds of people with his uh, teachings and his actions. And so here in this passage today, there are thousands of people who have gathered to check him out. The people are soaking it up. They're leaning in, totally immersed. And then from out of the crowd, a guy stands up. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. The guy isn't asking a bad question, or the gal in this case. (laughs) The rabbis interpret the law, including inheritance laws for people. So it was was not wrong for him to ask the question. But the fact that he interrupts all these people, thousands of people, to wait on him so that Jesus can deal with his issue reveals something about him. And Jesus can smell a rat. The guy isn't really asking for an interpretation of the law, right? He's asking for someone to tell his brother to give me my money, right? (laughs) So Jesus looks at him a little longer, kind of side-eyes him before responding, who appointed me as judge or refugee between you and your brother? In other words, you don't actually care about what your faith has to say. You just care about getting your money. And then, without missing a beat, he turns back to the crowd and says, speaking of greed, we have our story or parable for this morning, right? Speaking of greed, there was a man who has, let's say, a, a medium-sized business, a farm. And we don't, you, don't have to go on, you don't have a lot to go on when you think of the farmer, right? Jesus doesn't give a lot of details. It sounds like he's probably a hard worker, a careful planner, a good businessman, So this farmer does his work, and he does it well, and it pays off. 
Actually, as it turns out, it more than pays off. He has a banner year. He has brought in way more than he ever has before, more than he planned, and now he has to figure out, what am I going to do with all of this, right? What a good problem to have. Of course, being the prudent, big picture kind of guy that he is, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to invest in my future. I'm, I'm set for life, so here's what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store it all. And then, when that's done, I'll take it easy. I'll eat, I'll drink, I'll enjoy all of my hard work. And for a lot of folks, there is nothing wrong with this response. To be honest, I had to meditate on the scripture um, quite a bit before really getting um, at what Jesus was trying to communicate because I'm a planner. I, think, I like to think I work hard, and I like to make sure all my ducks are in order, right? When I turned 18, my mom took me out to dinner for my birthday, and um, you know what her gift to me was? It was a $100 check. Not for a cute new outfit or a nice pair of shoes or to pay my rent even, no, I had been squirreling away for, this last, for the last year um, to start an IRA. <laughs> I needed $500 to get it started, and I had saved $400. Everyone had told me, get started on your retirement when you're young. Get started when you're young. So, all right, you know, here I was, 17, starting on my IRA. So my mom gave me what I needed to start my retirement fund. And it's what every 18-year-old wants for their birthday, right? <laughs> it was for me. So anyway, if anyone can appreciate where this guy is coming from, right, it's me, which was what made it a little bit tricky for me to see, like, what the dealio was with this guy um, taking his extra Benjamins to secure a nice future for himself, right? And in a lot of ways, this seems fair, right? He's worked hard for his money. He should enjoy it. What's Jesus's issue? Okay, so here's what Jesus does not have a problem with. He doesn't have a problem with how the guy has been living. Financially, the farmer is more than okay, right? He's rich. He doesn't have a barn. If you look closely, he has barns, plural, right? He doesn't have debt. He doesn't seem to have any health issues or even any family to take care of. He's in really good shape. And on top of that, the fact that he's a good businessman, a prudent planner, and a hardworking guy, he probably already has been planning for his future in some way. So this isn't like a new thing, probably. He's golden. Jesus doesn't have a problem with any of that. Then the rich man gets even richer. And that's not a problem for Jesus either. Here's what Jesus' beef is. Greed, entitlement, and disconnection. The thing about greed is that you're never quite satisfied. You're always hungry. Greed always keeps your eye on the thing that's just out of reach, not the thing that's right in front of you. So one thing about Selah, my daughter that I was talking about earlier, is that she loves food. If she's just finished her meal, if she's had a big meal, she will turn to you as you sit down to start your meal that you have delayed because you've been feeding her, and then stare longingly as you move your spoon from your plate to your mouth. She'll start smacking and licking your lips and clicking your tongue. And then if you keep ignoring her, she'll start making these little noises and bouncing. She's basically like a puppy, right? <laughs> Anyhow, sometimes to stave her off, we will give her these like little cereal puff snacks. And what we've learned is that we can't just like dump a pile onto her high chair tray, right? Because what she'll do is she will take two fistfuls of puffs and shove them all into her mouth as fast as she can and then grab more as if someone is going to come and take all of her puffs um, away. So she tries to get as much as she can, as fast as she can, into her mouth, 
as much, yeah, as, as quickly as she can. If she could get two fistfuls and like put her mouth in, she would do that too. Even if she's not hungry. So she's only 11 months old, but in essence, this is greed, right? Greed says, if there's more, then I want it. And I want it all. And I want it to give as little as possible to get it. The rich man gets richer, and the first thought in his mind is, how will I store it? How will I put it away for my enjoyment later in life? How can I tear down my three-car garage and build a 10-car garage? What other additional stock should I invest in? What other property should I buy? Maybe a vacation home in Greece and a top-floor suite in New York to go with my vacation homes in Hawaii and my mountain cabin in the Alps. His first thought is not, thanks be to God for this abundance. His first thought is not, wow, God has blessed me. His first thought is, how can I make sure that I keep every dollar, dime, and penny for myself? Maybe you're thinking, well, the guy did all the work, right? So he should reap all the benefits. I call this the bootstraps mentality. You know, the mentality of you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Here's the problem with the bootstraps mentality. It's a lie. It's a lie. This country was built on the bootstrap myth. Right? The prevailing historical line is that this country was built by immigrants who came with nothing, put in some good old-fashioned hard work, and created this nation that we now call the good old U.S. of A. And the moral of the story is that if you put in your hard work, you'll get what you're due. But of course, that's a lie. This country was built on generations of unpaid laborers who were abused, enslaved, and suppressed at every turn so that a few people could make as much profit and progress as possible with the least amount of cost. That's greed. That's greed. But even if you know this and you agree with this and are enraged by this, it's really, really hard to escape how that culture of greed has influenced us. So I shop at The Gap. And a couple of times a day, sometimes it feels like seven or eight times a day, I get an email from them telling me that today there is a special limited time sale happening. And if I act now, I can get 30 or 40% off everything in the entire store, all everything online with free shipping. And of course, or if I spend a certain amount, I'll get some super cash that I can spend at a later date on even more stuff. I won't lie, I feel a twinge. I wonder if there's anything I can get. I go to the website, I look around, maybe put a few things in the cart, and then I catch myself. Do I need this? Am I just getting it because I can or because it's a good deal? This is greed. It seems harmless, right? But that's it, that's what it is. I want as much as I can for as little as possible even if I don't really need it. And it harms those around me, maybe not even um, the workers in the store, maybe not the people who work for The Gap, but those factory workers around the world, on the other side of the world in Bangladesh, whose owners are being contracted out by The Gap to fabricate all of those things that I'm buying for really cheap, are trying to get as much as they can out of those workers and cutting corners as much as they possibly can such that eventually a building falls in on them while they're in the middle of their work. That happened. That's greed. Now, no one likes to be called greedy. <laughs> so in order to feel like you are right in your thinking, you have to convince yourself that you deserve it, that it's your right to have it, that you are entitled to it. 
So entitlement. Absolutely. 100%. This guy worked hard. He plotted his land, he tilled his soil, he planted his seeds, and did all the things that you need to do to ensure the best possible outcome. He worked hard. But here's what he didn't do. He didn't bring the sun, not too much, but just enough. He didn't bring the rain, enough to water the seeds, but not wash them away. He didn't crack open the seeds and make the miracle of chlorophyll and the unfurling of seeds and stems happen. The mystery work that took place between the planting and the harvest, that was not his work. That was not his work. It was God's work. He felt completely entitled to it all, with no thought to the God who gave him breath or even the land who brought forth, that brought forth the harvest. Greed and entitlement can go unrecognized and unchecked when you stay in a bubble when you disconnect from God and from those around you, and you just allow yourself to tell yourself the story that you want to hear, right? And that leads me to disconnection. Not long ago, Carolyn, one of our HP dubbers, who actually happens to be our new theologian in residence at Urban Village, she told me a story about how she was teaching an adult Sunday school at a wealthy congregation downtown. And at one point in, during the course of this class, she made a comment about how Jesus often sided with the poor and regularly challenged people with money. It was just a, like one of many things that she had planned to say. There, there was a person who appeared to be wealthy, they kind of presented in that way, who was surprised by this and didn't really believe it. So Carolyn gave a few um, scriptural references as an example and then tried to move on. But the person was clearly bothered and wouldn't let it go. They seemed to be a little offended by this, and so they kept kind of pushing the issue, right? Carolyn's trying to move on, and they're like, but, but, but. Finally, Karen was, Carolyn was pushed enough where she pointed out to the person that this country had been built on the backs of the poor and continues to run at the expense of the poor. And the person was not very happy with that response. <laughs> and so Carolyn asked this person, can you think of one economic system in this world that does not operate at the expense of the poor? It was about then that a staff person at the church conveniently spoke up and said the hour had ended. <laughs> so we'll see what happens after that. Maybe they, well, hopefully they'll continue to show up. I'm sure that this person thought of themselves as a good person, or at least not a bad person, right? They go to church. They're going to Sunday school. Maybe they are very nice and even financially generous, but they were disconnected from the teachings of the God that they worshipped. They had no idea. The farmer believed the voice of ego that whispered in the back of his head and said that he was good and fine and maybe even a little superior. He stood at the altar of ego and worshipped the trinity of me, myself, and I. And because he listened to that voice and not the voice of the land that he worked, the land that sang of God's glory and truth of life with every rotation of the sun because he couldn't hear it, because he had no sense of anything or anyone beyond himself, he spent his final days completely disconnected from God and from others. He built beautiful buildings that he never lived in, and he planned delicious menus of meals that he never ate. He was rich in money, but spiritually poor. He died hollow at his core. So this story points to the opposite of greed, entitlement, and disconnection. Jesus says this man was not rich in God. So what does it mean, what does it look like 
to be rich in God. It's natural, and I don't think it's wrong to want to take care of yourself, right? But how do we flip the script on greed, entitlement, and disconnection? Well, we practice gratitude, generosity, and community. Gratitude feels so much better than entitlement. Entitlement is wrapped up in anxiety, actually. The anxiety of, I always have to be on type. I always have to protect what I have, right? Entitlement is the protector of greed. And so when you shift from entitlement to gratitude, you give freely. You loosen up, right? Because you feel that you, you could, anything could have gone another way. It's no longer about how I need it all for me and mine because you're not looking through that lens anymore. You give and live freely because you can't make the plants grow and you're not guaranteed a new morning and you know this and so you are grateful when the plants grow and when you see a new morning. You know you aren't promised health and wealth and love. There are plenty of people out there. We all know at least one, right? People who did everything right and it all folded in on them. You aren't guaranteed a happy life. You just aren't. But you are a guaranteed child of God. You are loved and cared for by God. Consider the ravens. I care for them. How much more will I care for you? This is what our baptism tells us. And when you recognize that, when you really receive that, you become grateful. It loosens your fists. You feel compelled to share what you have been gifted. Gratitude leads to generosity. And the cool thing about generosity is that it leads to more gratitude. You become the hands of feet and feet of Christ in this world when you're generous. And there's an easy kind of generosity of spirit that you share with those around you. But then there's kind of a more intentional kind of generosity, the kind of generosity, actually, that we're talking about during this sort of stewardship pledging season. You decide your percentage and you say, this isn't my money, this is God's money. And so you set it aside. And then you have this pot of resources that's purely for generosity. Purely for generosity. You may not be a multi-million dollar philanthropist, but you can make a difference. One year, Rich and I had some money left over in our giving account, and so we decided to make a donation to a domestic violence agency in honor of a professor at McCormick Seminary who was very involved with that issue. It wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a little bit of money. It was about $300. A few weeks later, we got a handwritten note from the executive director who called us angels and said that it was the right amount of money that had come in at just the right time. I don't know the full story behind this, and I don't really need to, but I know that what we gave made a powerful difference in someone's life. You know those times when you're like, God, I just need $100, or I need $75, and then suddenly the check comes in the mail, or you find it somewhere else. I got to participate in that. We were grateful, they were grateful, and to be honest, I was grateful too, right? My gratitude led to generosity, which led to more gratitude. That's God's math, right? One plus one equals three. And so finally, of course, generosity leads to community. When you are generous, a part of you opens up and you begin to connect with others, with yourself, with God, in ways maybe even that you never thought was possible. You feel, you begin to feel like you're part of something bigger, 
than yourself and that you matter in a way that counts. You become part of a bigger web of connectedness to those around you. Gratitude, generosity, community. The rich farmer had none of it. He had none of it. And that's what made him a fool. He was wealthy in money, but poor in God. It didn't have to be that way for him, actually. You know, these are one of the things that you actually have control of in life, right? It doesn't have to be that way for us either. It's not hard, right? You just have to open yourself up to it. Take a minute and ask yourself this question. What am I grateful for today? Seriously, think about it. What's one thing that you are grateful for today? Start there and then see what happens. Let us pray. God, we are grateful people. Help us to be even more grateful and to live into that gratitude with generosity and building community. Help us to feel our connectedness to you and to one another, to not isolate ourselves and shut ourselves off because we lose the gifts that you have for us in it. Open us up to be grateful people so that gratitude can multiply gratitude in this world, can know gratitude in a deep and abundant and joyful way and that all might know wholeness wholeness and fullness of life for all. We pray all this with gratitude and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.